There's over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Welcome to Net Zero Carbon, a show of Freightways where we focus on sustainability and transportation. I'm Danny Gomez, your host today, the Managing Director of Financial Emerging Markets here at Freightways. I'm super excited today to be joined by Mike Hopkins, the CEO of Bachman Energy. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to it, Danny. Um, so we're going to touch on a topic that I think it's been in the headlines a lot. Um, and I, I'm confident that at the end of this conversation, our our listeners and viewers uh, will, will be educated on the subject of hydrogen um, and, as, and how it relates to transportation. Before we jump in, do you mind just giving a little bit of your background? You're very well accomplished in, um, in your career and, and a little bit about Bakken Energy as well. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So my background is uh, I'm Canadian originally, now living in the United States as a dual citizen. Uh, have had basically two careers. The first as an attorney in the energy industry in Canada, although working a lot outside of Canada in the energy industry. And then I uh, retired from my practice of law in 2000, became an entrepreneur in clean tech, moving to California, which is pretty much what I've been doing ever since, Danny. I joined uh, up with my partner, Steve Lebo, uh, about four years ago when he wanted to create a venture that would be focused on um, harnessing the natural gas in the state of North Dakota that was being wasted, flared, and figure out what could we do better than that which is pretty much anything's better than that. But we landed on something really terrific, which is clean hydrogen. And so that's what Bakken Energy is about. And we've gone from that, that idea to a very large development in North Dakota with our partner Mitsubishi, which will be one of the largest clean hydrogen production facilities in the country uh, and definitely the lowest cost, which is going to be very relevant to trucking when we get to that later in our conversation. For those not super familiar with the energy space. Um, I have an oil and gas background. Bakken Energy is one of the terms that you learn early on when you get in the, uh, um, or, or the Bakken formation. Um, do you mind just giving some context to, to the name of the company and why that area of the country is significant? Yeah, we adopted the name Bakken when we began the company because our exclusive focus was on that, that formation, uh, which is principally northern North Dakota, uh, I think second largest oil and gas region in the country, a uh, big part of making the whole country energy independent um, and has a tremendous amount of potential in addition to what it's already done for the country. One, I'll say, unfortunate and peculiar aspect of the Bakken, Danny, is that uh, it's oil production all comes with natural gas, associated natural gas. So unlike in other regions that have you know, oil and then gas, and sometimes oil and gas associated. In the Bakken, it's almost exclusively oil with associated natural gas. You can't have the oil without the natural gas. Um, another, I'd say, unfortunate un, uh, aspect of North Dakota is that it has never developed its own indigenous natural gas industry. So natural gas is really not used, which is unlike any other oil and gas region in the country, where, where they produce natural gas, they actually use natural gas. So the combination of getting natural gas, whether you like it or not, but not actually using natural gas in the state has created this problem of flaring. Yeah, that's interesting. It's something I joined the oil and gas industry back in um, early 2000s. And 
it was commonplace, right? It was just a generally accepted practice that you flare the gas, you've got gas, and you don't know how to, it doesn't make sense to try to get it and bring it to market. So you just get rid of it. Um, and so I think through the process of, well, you know, the heightened awareness around global warming and the impacts of um, the activities that we do and um, taking for granted the, you know, the, the clean air and the, that, that we all breathe um, and trying to be better stewards of that. This is super interesting. And um, I think it'd be helpful for everyone just to level set, to understand how we go from um, drilling for oil, then flaring gas, and now producing hydrogen. And maybe to, 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 to even start, um, you know, describing hydrogen in, in, in the grand scheme of kind of energy and how it fits into um, our energy usage needs. Sure, I'd be happy to. I think a lot of people are very familiar with the the name hydrogen. They read about it, they hear about it. It's in the news a lot. Um, some of that news, I think, goes back a number of years when they used to. And I'm talking about like as far back as the 1970s, people talked about hydrogen as this fuel of the future, and that really anywhere where you needed energy, you could use hydrogen. This perfect clean fuel, potentially. It has no emissions other than water. So the interest in it has been around quite a while, Danny, but the, I'd say, intense focus on it these days and the uh, unprecedented public and private investment in actually developing hydrogen production, storage, transportation, and use, to me, I think that is all driven by, I think you use the term global warming, uh, concerns about climate change, uh, the need to decarbonize, which is not unique to the United States. This is, a, I'd say, a worldwide movement, a worldwide concern that we need to reduce our carbon f- footprint, decarbonize. And for those like myself, who's been in the, I'll say, clean energy space, renewables, energy storage, quite a long time, until pretty recently, I think there was a, a widely held belief that we've got all the tools we need to do that. Uh, get more, get more solar, get more wind, get more batteries, and and we'll all get there. That that'll work. Um, just electrify everything, and and we're good. I think that even for proponents of that, which includes myself, people have come to the realization that that's actually not happening big enough or fast enough, and that there's entire parts of the economy, agriculture, uh, heavy industry. Uh, large long haul trucking, whole parts of the of the economy that are basically being skipped over by renewables and batteries where, you know, the battery has to be too big, it takes too long to charge, it doesn't fit. These are just practical problems. So big sources of carbon are not being addressed at all by solar, wind, and batteries. That's that's the issue. And that's where hydrogen has come in. People have gone back to hydrogen and said, well, wait a minute. You could use hydrogen for that purpose. It's not cheap, but that's where people, I think, have come to say, we need to get together, government, private industry, and focus on those. Um, there are certainly people, Danny, that I think say, well, I can, whatever, run my car on hydrogen. I could cook with hydrogen. Yes, you can do all those things. You can do anything with hydrogen. But I think most, if you look at where most of the money is going, where most of the research is going, where most of the innovation is going, it's in these difficult to decarbonize segments of the economy that are prime candidates for hydrogen. And then it's all about, okay, how do you make it available? How do you make it affordable? Because, you know, we can't pay 
anything. We can, there's, there has to be limits to what's affordable. It has to make sense. And that's where the focus is on that. And that's very much the focus of our company is not just making clean hydrogen, but you got to make it affordable so people will adopt it. Just to give some concreteness to or some tangibility to, to hydrogen, right? It's a word for most people. It's not something they know what it looks like. Oil, you can, you can think about what, what oil looks like. You know, the, you know, the properties of natural gas. Um, talk about hydrogen a little bit from, it, it, let's use trucking as an example, right? Like today I'm going to the fueling station. I'm filling up with diesel. I know what diesel looks like. I know what it smells like. I know, what, you know how it goes into my engine. It's creating combustion, which creates prop- propulsion. And we're moving goods from A to A to Z or wherever, wherever we go, right? Um, replace diesel with, with hydrogen in that example. Like what, what does it look like for someone who's in trucking? Well, there's two ways that you can go, and they're both being pursued right now, Danny. Uh, one is uh, a way that would make it the least of a change, that you'd hardly notice it if you were a trucker, and the truck won't look very much different. And that is to literally use hydrogen in an internal combustion engine. So instead of using diesel in the engine, you use hydrogen. That can be done. It takes modifications to the engine, but you're not redoing the truck. You're not redesigning the truck. You're not redesigning the drivetrain. Um, that is one thing that's being pursued and pursued very seriously, including by the largest truck manufacturer in the world, Daimler. So that's one way to go. Another way to go would be more, I say, relatable to those that have been seeking to electrify trucks where they want to put in batteries and electric motor. Well, instead of batteries for your electric motor, you can use hydrogen in a fuel cell. So you're going to have this hydrogen tank and it is going to be feeding hydrogen to a fuel cell. And the fuel cell creates electricity, runs the motor. Uh, the benefits of that setup, hydrogen with a hydrogen fuel cell generating electricity to drive an electric motor is you don't need a battery. Or if you have a battery, you have a minimal battery. And you avoid what has been the problem in trucking is as you kind of go from battery electric cars, which is pretty straightforward, to light-duty trucks, which is okay, but getting problematic with the size of the battery, to long-haul trucks, 18-wheelers, and you start talking about giant batteries, extremely heavy batteries, batteries that take hours and hours to recharge, batteries that degrade, batteries that perform poorly in cold climate, which is difficult to avoid if you're in long-haul trucking. Um, These are all benefits of hydrogen and hydrogen fuel cells. So the charging of the hydrogen fuel cell is refueling, so to speak, the fuel cell versus plugging it into a charging device at the equivalent of Exactly. There's no, so if you're trying to think of that as you, you're, you're driving a hydrogen-powered truck, whether it's a hydrogen-powered truck that's literally got on board a tank to feed hydrogen into an internal combustion engine where it's combusted just like diesel, or it's a hydrogen-fueled truck that's got electric motor instead of an engine, and it's got a hydrogen tank and a fuel cell. Either way, you'll be doing the same thing when you're running out of hydrogen. You'll be coming up to a fueling station, presumably one of the existing truck stops, where in addition to having gasoline and diesel, they'll have a hydrogen fueling station, and you'll just fuel it up with hydrogen, which is going to be basically identical in time to diesel. The, the time it would require to fuel with diesel would be pretty much identical to the time required to fuel with. In addition, the range with hydrogen is greater than diesel. So you're, you talk about like extraordinary ranges due to hydrogen. These, these are all advantages of hydrogen. 
With 35% of trucks on the road driving empty, 87 million metric tons of carbon emissions are produced annually. Leveraging machine learning and automation, Convoy is efficiently connecting shippers with carriers while reducing carbon emissions. Learn how Convoy's technology can help your business run efficiently and build toward a no empty miles future at convoy.com slash sustainability. So we talk about this a lot here amongst ourselves and with, um, with our community about, you know, all the different things that we need in our toolbox to, to achieve, um, you know, decarbonization and transportation. And, and you and I were talking, it's, it's not a single silver bullet for every use case. There's, you know, local delivery trucks that where EV is a very um, serious application. We already see that happening in a lot of places. Um, and to, to your point, we said earlier, hard to bait sectors of transportation. And it's long haul trucking has been this, has been in that camp, right? And so, um, hearing that this has you know applications for long haul is you know part of this toolbox, right? Um, you know, going stepping back again a little bit uh, on some of the fundamentals, um, I may have like given the impression that natural gas turns into hydrogen when I said you go from taking natural gas and then you have hydrogen. That's actually not what's happening, correct? You're not transforming natural gas into hydrogen. You're using natural gas in the production um, of it. So can you describe that process, like the, the relationship between the gas that you're pooling and um, and the production of hydrogen? Yeah, well, actually, it, it, there's a few ways to make a clean hydrogen. So traditionally, uh, hydrogen, not clean hydrogen, traditional hydrogen, the process is actually quite carbon intensive. Traditional hydrogen is made from either natural gas um, or from coal. Uh, if you take natural gas, which is the most common uh, feedstock, you're taking the natural gas and you're putting it through some type of reforming process, typically steam methane reforming. And what you get is the natural gas allows you to then split from the natural gas hydrogen, pure hydrogen, but also CO2. Um, in the traditional process, that CO2 was just released. And that's why I said very carbon intensive. So they, whatever, 10 million tons a year of hydrogen produced today, which is almost 100% traditional carbon intensive hydrogen, is, is no source of decarbonization. It's contributing to the carbon problem. What we're doing and what clean hydrogen companies are doing is if, if, you, if you use natural gas, Yes, you use some type of reforming process. In our case, we use something called autothermal reforming, an especially uh, energy efficient and effective reforming process that allows us to get the pure hydrogen and capture about 95, 96% of the carbon emissions, which we then locally sequester underground. So yeah, it's actually made from natural gas and you're getting hydrogen and CO2. And then if you do it the right way, you're sequestering and permanently basically eliminating the, the CO2 emissions. Another way to do it, which is, and, and our process is, uh, has been, I think, commonly referred to as blue hydrogen. Um, the other main way of making clean hydrogen, which is being called green hydrogen, is you take a renewable form of energy. Um, solar or wind, you get, you take water, that's your feedstock, and you have a, an electrolyzer. Uh, you're powering your electrolyzer with renewables. And from the other side, you get just water and hydrogen. That's all you're getting. There's no CO2 emissions. So in theory, that's like zero carbon. Now, 
If that whole system is connected to the grid, though, and takes any power from the grid, as opposed to exclusively from renewable energy, then all of a sudden your carbon footprint is different and and worse, which is one reason, Danny, where the Department of Energy here in the United States, and also I think more and more people in the industry are moving away from uh, some kind of color scheme of that's blue hydrogen, that's green, that's gray, that's pink, that's <laughs> whatever, uh, are going to, a, I think, a more serious approach of carbon intensity, which you literally can measure. And the Department of Energy has a measurement program for that, where they look at the whole process. If, if In our case, where do you get your natural gas? How is it produced? Do you have any you know, methane emissions? Do you have any leakages? What do you then do with it at your production? So you measure everything and come up with, here's your carbon intensity. How much carbon are you releasing as opposed to capturing and getting rid of for each kilogram of, of carbon that you, of hydrogen that you make? And that's a, to me, that's another good sign as this industry goes from sort of telling, telling interesting stories and talking about, I have this huge project and I'm going to do this. Now it's getting serious, which is what it has to do. If you want to serve, I'll say the trucking industry. Yeah, that's not going to happen by saying, come buy my green hydrogen or come buy my blue. Anybody buying hydrogen, it's going to be like buying diesel or buying gasoline. You want to know what you're buying. You can put a brand on it if you want, but you know, with gasoline, you want to know the octane rating and it, and it better be real. It's not good enough to say it's really good. So that's where I'd be. I think we'll get there with hydrogen where There'll be all kinds of producers from all kinds of different parts of the country using all kinds of methodology. And you will literally get either a government stamped or an industry standard uh, carbon intensity rating. And then people in different industries or even within the same industry can decide how much money do I want to spend on my hydrogen? Is it, you know, do I want zero carbon, but I'll pay three times as much? Yeah, maybe there will be people. Are you happy with? You've eliminated 95% of the carbon, but that's like a third the cost of zero carbon. The market will make those decisions. Sure. And you, you talked a little bit about the emissions um, of burning hydrogen. Um, and you said water, right? How that sounds, you know, so for some will sound fantastical, right? Like, is that how real is that? That that's that's real. So, like the beauty of hydrogen once you've got it. And this is true even of when I was talking about how is it made conventionally. Like once you have that hydrogen, it's an amazing energy source. It, it's truly zero carbon. It has no emissions other than water. It, it's, it's a perfect energy source. But you have to look at how is it made because if it was made the old-fashioned way. Okay, once you have it, you've got this pure hydrogen. But if in the process of getting that, you were incredibly polluting, that's not helping anybody. So that's why there's this focus on yeah, everybody understands hydrogen is hydrogen, however it's made. It's the process of making that we're talking about. And that's what I think consumers will focus on. You know, not totally different from, you know, do you want organic or do you want, you know, traditionally, right, you know, industrial-based foods. Some people want organic and they'll pay for it. Some people don't. I think that's a perfect example. When you think about hydrogen, you know, we, we focus a lot on, the term transition fuels, right? Um, but if you look at a lot of the projections about hydrogen's presence as a fuel source, it's not a transition and then a replacement. It seems that it could potentially be here to say, you talk about just 
the longevity of hydrogen in the mix of uh, a fuel? I that's a great comment and observation. I, I, I believe that as hydrogen becomes adopted, you are 100% correct that there's nothing logically or foreseeably transitional about it. It's more a case of as it's adopted, adoption should increase. One of the things that holds back that limits the adoption of hydrogen, apart from the fact that we're just now developing production and we're just now developing uses like long-haul trucking, is that whole, whatever you want to call it, midstream transportation distribution system. It doesn't exist for hydrogen. So you, you have that for diesel. You have that for gasoline. You have that for the natural gas system. You've got that for electricity. Our country you know, has these distribution networks already there for these different types of fuels, different types of energy. It is almost non-existent for hydrogen. There's like a few hundred miles of pipelines for hydrogen. There's a, you know, a relatively small number of gaseous tube trucks and cryogenic trucks going around with traditional hydrogen. That's how you move it in the absence of a pipeline. What we're talking about it now is as you see the adoption of hydrogen, the use of hydrogen, you'll have this build out of this infrastructure. And as that happens, um, that to me unlocks this building demand for and this building production of hydrogen. So yeah, I see it going more and more, not fading away in, in any sense. Where it ends up, I think that's more the question. Like what's the logical limit of the penetration of hydrogen in the energy markets in the United States? Because the range right now that as a starting point, just to frame it, you could look at it and say, well, I would say at the bottom end, you would take, and this is not trucking, you would take the existing uses of conventional hydrogen. So fertilizer, uh, other industrial uses, food processing, you would take those and replace the conventional hydrogen with clean hydrogen. That'd be like 10 million tons. Not a big number. But that, that to me is like the floor. Well, at least that's going to happen because all of those industries, by the way, want to decarbonize. At the other limit, outside limit, you've got what Japan talks about, what South Korea talks about, this, this so-called hydrogen economy, where they do take this sort of logical limit of, well, because anything that needs energy could run on hydrogen, it should run on hydrogen. That would be the hydrogen economy where you just turn everything to hydrogen. To me, that that makes really no more sense in my mind than these, this, this idea that, oh, we're not going to do anything more than decarbonize what currently uses hydrogen. To me, it's something in between, but something quite significant because you look at long-haul trucking, major, it's a major industry, a, a critical industry of the country. And yeah, it has a serious carbon problem, but it's not like we have a choice of whether we're going to have long-haul trucking or not. So that's a yeah. prime example of that's the place that should be a focus. For similar reasons, shipping, uh, aviation. And, and again, these are all cases where not every ship, not every plane, not every truck should be on hydrogen. I think you're going to look at them really case by case, segment by segment. We've talked about long-haul trucking. That's the part of trucking where I'd say, yeah, that's sort of, to me, obvious that that should be a focus of hydrogen, whether it's combusting the hydrogen or it's fuel cells, that's a logical place. In the same way that 
don't really think it's very controversial that the way to decarbonize your example of local delivery trucks is batteries. Right. Right. And approaching this in a logical way, I think, um, versus just these blanket that we try to, yeah, I think initially EV was supposed to replace everything. Right. Um, but as we get into practice it, you know, we understand it better. Um, this has been super insightful on the hydrogen side. As we wrap up here, do you mind just talking about some of the practical things? I know that, um, the government just issued a statement about having hydrogen hubs. You guys are in practice doing this in um, North Dakota with your partner. Do you mind just talking through that as we wrap here? Yeah. So um, the government, the U.S. government has been a major, major proponent of clean hydrogen. They had this hydrogen shot uh, almost two years ago where they said we want to see large scale production basically at the cost of conventional hydrogen. Big aspirational goal. And then they started being very supportive of that with loan guarantees, uh, which we're applying for with grants. And then the federal government, through the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, came up with this uh, pretty unprecedented program of $8 billion in grants for regional hydrogen hubs. And you're right, Danny, we certainly view what we're doing in North Dakota as the logical foundation of a big regional hydrogen hub sort of upper Midwest with our partner, Mitsubishi, also with our partner, the MHA Nation. Our natural gas actually comes from the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation in North Dakota. And we have a partnership with the tribes where they're our gas supplier. And to go back to the flaring discussion we have, part of what we're doing will be to eliminate that extraordinary flaring on the reservation. So with our partners, yep, we're, uh, and, and I think there'll be more that join us as we build this out, because although we're based in North Dakota, our reach and our market uh, certainly extends through that whole upper Midwest, and that includes trucking. I expect before we're done here, we will have one or more uh, trucking industry partners just because we see them as a major part of what we're doing in this region. Uh, there's going to have to be, for trucking, different regional sources of hydrogen, and we intend to be that source for the upper Midwest. That's awesome. Um, this has been super insightful for me and hopefully the viewers as well, I'm sure. Um, for folks who want to reach out to you to learn more about what you're doing or maybe even talk to partnerships, how should they contact you? Uh, so our website is www.bakkenenergy.com. My email is mhopkins at bakkenenergy.com and always interested in talking to anybody interested in clean hydrogen. Mike, this has been great. Thanks so much. My pleasure.